Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Marinike Giwanaiwu. Marinike is a parent of a student at the St. Constantine School in Houston. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. For more information on CLT's mission and details about upcoming test dates, head to www.cltexam.com slash get started. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, Today, we have a very special episode here. Uh, The way this episode originated uh, is kind of funny. Uh, We actually were responding to a complaint uh, from a parent at one of our favorite partner uh, schools, the St. Constantine School, and it was about uh, the use of the word wokeism or woke in uh, in CLT marketing, and uh, ended up connecting with the parent, uh, Mornike uh, Giwa Inawu, uh, and uh, had a, a great conversation offline about the history of the word wokeism, uh, racial dynamics in America, and thought, you know what, we should take this conversation onto the Anchor podcast as well and keep it going. Uh, so, Mornike, a thrill to be with you this morning. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really glad to be on the podcast. So we've been uh, starting off the Anchor podcast recently with talking about early childhood education. Uh, I'd love to hear a bit about your academic formation uh, just growing up. Sure. So my parents were um, immigrants who came to the United States for college. Um, their plan was to um, you know, get their education and leave. But my siblings and I made our appearance um, while they were in school. And so my early childhood education was um, kind of a hodgepodge in different um, parts of the Midwest as we were moving around for their preceptorships and, you know, grad programs, and etc. So we did um, some Waldorf programs, some Montessori programs, um, some mm. of some um, on campus, um, because my parents were international students, so they had some of the schools had um, like you know early learning. La- I, mean, I guess um, early education, um, like learning labs, you know, like small um, you know um, childcare facilities on site that would be that would utilize the educational programs at the school, like a training program. Um, and then we also we later relocated um and i um to uh, the the gulf coast and there um, my siblings and i went to we were um, we were products of public schools so we were actually in um, um programs um i guess vanguard gt and um and magnet programs mm-hmm. um through that um the public schools offered where you would um you know take you know, placement tests and apply for a particular program, either for, you know, because it was, you know, accelerated academically or because you wanted Mm. some type of specialized 
um, if a person wanted specialized education, say healthcare or fine arts or what have you, there were certain campuses that had a limited number of spots of those. So I grew okay. up in um, in those um, in in schools, um, graduated from public schools. I, um, things were different than they are now, but and it was a it was a pretty good education for me. I yeah. um, pretty yeah yeah. And uh, Morinike, uh, what country were your parents immigrating from? Um, my parents are from Nigeria and Cabo Verde. And so um, they actually grew up under colonial rule and okay. um, <laughs> and came, um, you know, and so at the time they actually could have uh, most people would go to college in the UK because it was easier, mm. you know, um, b- being a Commonwealth country and all of that. My parents didn't want to be separated, though. They wanted to be together. So they knew no, absolutely no one in the U.S., but in the U.S., they got accepted to the same university. So mm-hmm. um, they packed up and moved to the snowy Midwest and <laughs> and that became their home. And they ended up falling in love with the U.S. and staying here. Wow. From Nigeria to the American Midwest. I, I, I can't yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And then tell us about your discovery of classical uh, and classical Christian education. Sure. It's it's really fascinating because um, I. Um, I'm an educator myself, and um, I would say that for the longest time, I would have, you know, staunchly argued for the uh, the you know value and the importance of public schools. Um, you know, my siblings mm-hmm. and I all have graduate educations. We, um, you know, we are product of public schools, but public schools have changed a lot. And I've come to realize that even during the time that I was growing up they um there there were a lot of disparities and that my education was somewhat atypical you know that i had and even though it was a public school it was really it it mirrored a lot of things with like the um liberal arts you know education and that's not what people have today you know more mm. it's more a lot of testing and drilling things in and huge classrooms and that wasn't something that i wanted um we're a family kind of a non-traditional family we're with an adoptive and a biological family and we have kids with disabilities and so we mm. didn't want a gigantic ratio of you know um instructor to teacher and we didn't want um you know where children couldn't move freely or speak freely or have um you know kind of any sense of individualization and so we were we tried several different models we did um, a university model school um program we um did um a traditional Christian private school. We did some homeschooling. We kind of played around with different things for our children. We um, we had um, one of our children in a gifted school. So at one time we had our children in three different schools on, um, I'm sorry, four different schools on three different sides of town. <laughs> um, and so we, it was actually kind of an accident that I came across Christian classical education. Um, my best friend, homeschooled her her children um they were also internationally adopted and so after Mm. a stint in public school that didn't work out for both of her girls um she homeschooled them and so she had um was always kind of sharing different things about programs co-ops and and things just different things that she would find um in the community and so she shared something about the um the saint constantine school the the year that that the inaugural year that it was going to open and um i was just really intrigued um by what i read and i went on the website and i just devoured it and i was Mm. Sold, and I was like, I have got to get my kids into the school. We've got to apply wow. and pray if they get in because this is this is the school. And so we've been with the St. Constantine School ever since, from the year that it opened to now, <laughs> and we're still with wow. it. 
That, that, that is beautiful. And, and within this movement, I, I think John Mark Reynolds is, is just a giant and a visionary. Uh, also founded, of course, the Tory Honors uh, College at Biola University, which is a very, very popular uh, option with our students. Um, have, have you had a chance to connect with him as a parent uh, who's been there really since day one? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He is so, so, so involved. Um, he, um, as well as his wife, are daily involved in the activities of the school. They're not these, you know, kind of far removed administrators by any means. He's mm. hilarious, <laughs> um, a really funny, funny guy, um, and very just brilliant. And just, I, I just really, to me, um, you can tell that this is not just this isn't like just a job or a project, but, you know, this is like a mission. This is a ministry. It's mm, personal yeah. to him. And, um, and his vision, you know, permeates the entire, the, the entire school. And, um, it, he's just a phenomenal guy and, um, and a very unique person. Um, prior to, um, after leaving, um, when he left California, um, he was at Houston Baptist University and had created a similar program called the Academy that was like a high school, like a secondary level version of um, St. Constantine. But he really wanted something that would go from early childhood up to higher ed. And he wanted to be able to branch out. So he, the um, St. Constantine is an experiment. And I can tell you as someone who's lived in the Houston area for a long time it, that um, he intentionally chose an area that's very um, multiracial, very, uh, you know, and multi-ethnic, mm. very diverse. Um, he didn't put it in a kind of like a cookie cutter suburb, um, you know, in, in a homogeneous little part of, of the Houston, but it's, it's in, in the heartthrob of the city. Um, mm. And um, it's um, in a place where a lot of quote unquote Christians would not you know, feel comfortable putting themselves and um, he, and it's thriving and it's such a unique and beautiful place, you know, and because of his, um, because it's also an Orthodox, you know, um, classical school, mm. it, we have so much diversity. We have so many, you know, being, we have so many families whose, you know, heritage is from Lebanon and Ethiopia and Greece and, you know, all of these different places. And so it's just, it's a unique um, environment, um, very different than some than the, the other Christian school that we had enrolled our children in, which you know, diversity was not um, was not something that was prioritized. Hmm. Monique, uh, I'm excited to uh, dig in, dig back into this conversation that we had a few weeks ago, um, and I want to just thank you to start that off. You know, with uh, I think out of a, a love for CLT and an interest in what we're doing. Uh, that you weren't thrilled, I think, to say the least, uh, with, with our our use uh, of of the language of wokeism or being woke. And um, I I would love to just kind of hear what does that term mean to you? Because you know I, I've had this conversation with Dr. Anika Prather, who's been on the podcast, I believe. More She's than amazing. Else. Absolutely. She's been on amazing. It, yeah, at least at least three times now. Um, it means something very different. And there's a history of the usage of the word woke within. The black community, uh, where it means something different than I think a lot of, uh, you know, maybe mainstream kind of white Americans are using it today. What does that term mean to you? Thank you for bringing that up because, um, you know, it was, um, you know, just seeing the term within the in quotation marks, like it was some kind of like, you know, annoying buzzword was very mm. hurtful because, you know, so I know that to a, to a number of people, quote unquote, stay woke is something that or being woke or wokeism is this new phenomenon. But it's something that I've known my entire life. And keep in mind, you know, keep in mind that I'm um, my family 
or we're African immigrants to the United States. So I'm not even, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, my brothers and I are first generation born here. So this is a term that was familiar to me as someone who isn't even, whose, whose family isn't even native to the United States because of that's how much, how much of a, of an important point it is in the black community. And so it essentially, you know, it's woke in terms of being um being alert and not being in a slumber um in terms mm. of being dormant or being or you know accepting the status quo or mm -hmm. uh, being unaware of who one is so just kind of being complacent um in one's life that you know it has multiple meanings that's one mm. of the meanings one of the historical meanings but another is with regard to um the fact that the injustices that you face every day as a person of color in this country causes you to literally lie in your bed awake hmm. You're, you cannot sleep because you are fearful of the things that could happen or that have happened um as a result of the skin that you were born in and so you you know you, you're kind of awake um hypervigilant frightened um thinking of solutions or thinking of ways to keep yourself and or your children safe and um or mm. you're you know or you're awake because you know someone who looks like you and whose name sounds familiar to your children is a hashtag today or tomorrow and you know for it and and you could see yourself in that situation um and so it's it's not a term to be played around with to be just like oh stay well oh woke is mm. like you know it's not this virtue signaling type of word it's a very it's a word that has like deep symbolic meaning in our community and so it's misused so frequently um all over social media and and, and, and other places and i understand that people can't know what they don't know, but it just really was hurtful for me to see an mm. organization that I respected, you know, CLT, yeah. um, and, you know, using the term in this way. And so I was really grateful that you and your team were so responsive, you know, to, you know, um, you know, immediately to address this. And, you know, and that's not something that you see a lot of. And I'm, I'm grateful because I understand needing to use colloquialisms, you know, for, mm. Um, you know, but at the same time, we also still need to be respectful and understand that, you know, our communities are are not hetero are, are heterogeneous. And so those terms, you know, everyone, you know, who's, you know, reading, you know, CLT material is not, you know, white and um, is not going to read that word yeah. and be like, oh, it just means this, you know. Well, very grateful to you again for your willingness uh, to have a conversation that I think for a lot of Americans is is tough to have. And I, I do think for uh, a number of a large percentage, let's say, of, of folks who use the language of woke, I think the first thing in their head actually doesn't have anything to do with race for, for a lot of them. It has to do with things like gender fluidity, um, uh, kind of the an oppression hierarchy of, of seeing, uh, you know, trans uh, people and 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 gays as being, um, you know, marginalized and and it's kind of the most oppressed group, um, and so somehow like like uh, these things have all become conflated, and so, you know, wokeism certainly I think the the way that it's understood by a big chunk of Americans again, it it includes uh, this dimension of viewing uh, everything through kind of the lens of racism and maybe seeing racism everywhere. How did these? How did the term come to take on uh, so many other meanings that don't have necessarily anything uh, to do with race in America or or the the history of injustice? 
you know, I really wish I had the answer for you because if I could find, figure out how that happened, maybe I could undo it. <laughs> because it's like it, another term, like canceled, for example, mm. has a historical meaning in the Black community that has been completely misused. Like there's certain words now that I cringe when I see them because I know that people are not having an understanding or using them accurately. And again, I know things shift and evolve over time, but it just always seems like, you know, the language of our community gets appropriated, misused, Mm. and then we're subjected to it, um, you know, uh, you know, repeatedly being, you know, used in a negative manner. And, um, and that's hurtful um, because I think that, um, I think that there is, I, 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 because humans make generalizations, I can understand how, um, people might have kind of inferred that, okay, well, woke means this, 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 and this. Like if a person feels this way about this, you know, cause or this issue, then surely they, you know, the trajectory should be that they feel about this way or this way or that way, you know, like in terms of basically people dialing everything down to a binary of, hmm. you know, of um, co- conservative against, you know, pro- progressive um, and or left against right. Or, and, you know, and that's just not really the way the world we live in works. There isn't this just dichotomy of people who are on these stark opposite polar um, parts mm-hmm. of the world it's more of a people more people live in the gray areas the majority of us live in the gray areas you know and and i think that you know as christians in particular um you know we're called you know our faith is one you know we're called to be um you know you know um, open-minded and loving of, of others with differences mm. but also to have our own you know ethics and so i think that people um people misunderstand that um the, for those of us who are born, you know, in color, a, a person of color, you know, in this country or elsewhere, um, there it is just a fact of life that there are a lot of things that occur that our that are affected by different social determinants, by your mm-hmm. age, by your geography, by your socioeconomic status, by your race, um, by your gender. That that is reality for a lot of people. By your if, a disability, if you have one, but it isn't it. it it starts to take a negative view. There's a big difference between acknowledging or being aware of something and um, misconstruing everything. Mm. Um, and so, and I think that um, when you think about, when, when people think about things like marginalizations or intersectionality, which is a term that I love, um, it, it's not something that is exclusive to only one group. You know, a person can be, um, you know, a white person with a disability and that person has a marginalization and that person in a world that isn't built for, um, you know, that is not very accessible. That person is going to have, you know, a different experience than someone else. Mm. And so I think that um, it's, it's, you know, I, I think it's possible for people to kind of separate what seem like extremes, um, you know, from the, the, you know, I guess from also, but, and it's still respect people's rea- lived mm. reality and not make assumptions. You know, I think everything, if I walk out of the door today and um, I wave at the, the the person who's delivering, you know, mail and they don't wave back to me, that doesn't mean they didn't wave back at me because they saw a black woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, maybe they're busy. Maybe they're tired. Maybe mm. they, you know, maybe they're running late. It, it, everything is not there are a number of things that are about race. We know that that's clear from the statistics of health and, um, you know, economic and, you know, data that we have, educational attainment. There are a lot of things that that have no other explanation than the fact that there is 
racial inequity in this country, period. But there are also certain things that, um, you know, things can be mutually exclusive as well. And mm. a person can disagree with a particular view and it isn't because of race. It is because they disagree with that view and mm-hmm. um, that should be respected too. And so I think that pointing at everyone and, and saying that everything is racism is hurtful because then mm. the things that really are racism of which there are a lot wow. get missed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if everything is racist, nothing is racist. Exactly. And, and it yeah. also makes people frightened to have dialogues with one another. Cause mm. I think that people are, people are all learning. All people are learning. And, you know, we are all born in the same society, you know, and the, you know, the system that we're born in and we all have to learn and unlearn different things about one another. And that's not, and that's not exclusive to any particular group. When my parents came to this country, there were certain things that they weren't aware of privileges that they'd had that, you know, their African-American colleagues hadn't had um, and so Mm. forth. So they had to have an understanding too of, you know, of their differences and, um, and respect the experiences of others and that others had had that they hadn't had and have a different lens. And so I think that um, it's important for us all, you know, if people are scared to talk about anything because they think that it's going to offend anyone, um, you know, if they aren't, if they're scared to have like respectful, you know, you know, dialogue, you know, mutually respectful dialogue, then we get nowhere. We have to be able mm. to talk. And that's one thing I really love about the St. Constantine School is that they dig right in to, wow. um, you know, in the curriculum, you know, it's, we, we, of course, it's the, the classics, but there is, you know, openly, you know, it, it integrates um, the work of Phyllis Wheatley Peters, you know, the, um, you know, the first African-American, you know, published author and poet, um, Frederick Douglass and um, W.E.B. Du Bois' work is in there. There are work from, mm. you know, like, there's just a number of things that are addressed and that we look at. Um, we have, it's just, it's something that we talk about openly and boldly, you know, there, there people are allowed to have their different perspectives, but we don't shy away from differences or controversy. You know, we don't have our, our kindergartners playing together and say they're, they're Oh, they're colorblind. No, they hmm. see color and they think it's beautiful. <laughs> this one's color and this one's color and this one's color all different. And that's great. That's the variety and the spice of the of life that God gave us. Uh, Marenica, you, you said earlier, you know, that, that the majority of, of folks, you know, live in a gray area, a nuanced area. I, I do worry that, that that group is becoming smaller every day. I think one of the, the impacts of social media in particular, and I am certainly guilty as I spend way too much time on Twitter, uh, but it it puts people into polarized groups because the way social media works is that nuance isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so you're not going to get retweets or likes if you're saying thoughtful, nuanced, uh, you know, statements. Uh, people want, you know, somebody who, who's going to throw down and kind of demonize the other side. Yes. And uh, I, that, that to me is, is a real concern. And so I'm wondering, how do we get, I mean, it seems like right now, a big chunk of America lives in this world where racism doesn't exist. We deny, you know, the history of racial injustice. And another big chunk lives in the world where like everything is viewed through the lens of racism. Um, how, how do we establish a broader kind of middle ground where we acknowledge and see injustice where it is, but we're not looking for it all the time as well? You know, I think that you've illustrated it so well, um, sadly. <laughs> and um, and I think that one way that we can, um, I think first, I think we need to slow down. So I think the this like instant react 
um, you know, boil everything down to X amount of characters and, you know, type of life style, this, you know, kind of knee jerk defensive reaction like we have. I think people don't stop to think um, and to take time to figure things out and to, you know, try to, see, you know, understand the perspective of the other party or to kind of, um, you know, learn one another and, you know, and know what people don't give one another grace and space. So I think that if we mm. were, if, if we stop making the most negative assumption and try to assume, you know, be more neutral, that would help. I think that dialogue and conversation, um, you know, with it, it's, it's difficult. I think people, um, people try to live in the their differences, but I think that we have so much there and there are differences, certainly, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are so many areas, I think, that we so many commonalities. And if we could start with those, you know, that would humanize the other party. Um, and, um, you know, and I think about just the fact that people can, you know, people can respect one another and agree to disagree, you know, in, you know, that I think about that saying about, you know, in, um in essential things, unity in non-essential things. I think it's of liberty and all things mm. charity, you know, and if we could apply that way of thinking to one another, um, I really feel like relationship building helps. I think because people see one another as unrelatable strangers. Um, and because of that, um, it's very easy to uh, kind of to dismiss you know, their perspective as being unrealistic or to demonize others. And I think really, you know, at the end of the day, we're all people who have, you know, um, beating hearts and um, lungs full of oxygen who want um, our kids to be healthy and safe. And we want to, to, you know, contribute something of, you know, of benefit to the world. And, um, you mm. know, and I think that we need to, um, I think we, we've got to stop and start a lot smaller than we are. I think we're doing, you know, we're starting far too much. Um, we're looking far too much at the macro and we need to start with the micro. Um, and then from there, we might be able to bridge some of these gaps. I, I really feel that it's just, it's shameful that people are shouting across the aisle at one another. Um, mm when if they would just stop and talk, you know, in a normal tone, you know, to one another, um, they'd find more commonality than I think that I, than we see right now. I, I love that. And I, I think that is a distinct fruit of classical education, uh, where CLT is, is just a few blocks from St. John's College. And I think it's one of these few places in America where you've got folks completely across the political spectrum, all different <laughs> races that are learning mm -hmm. how to slow down and, and listen. Um, yes. I, I do wonder, you know, I, I, uh, one of my good friends, DJ Hunt, we coach football together at Broadneck. Um, you know, we, we've had some conversations about race and I, I truly love that he can say that, that he is, uh, you know, he, he wants to raise his boys to be proud of being black men. Yes. Um, and I think about, I'm trying to slowly learn Spanish. I listen to a lot of Spanish Aww. radio and the, uh, the Spanish radio I listen to, you know, it, it's always it always says uh, Latino and proud. Um, <laughs> I I think about those dynamics and and what it's like as a as a dad raising white kids. And I, I certainly would. It would seem so weird to me to say um, I, I want my to raise my boys to be <laughs> proud white boys um, because I think that 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 especially white men already do feel uh, a level of shame for actual injustices that really have been committed. Um, do you have a concern that that our nation is is going um, in a dangerous direction in terms of demonizing one group, uh, white men in particular, for uh, so many of our nation's problems? You know, I, I think that 
it's 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 interesting because it's it's frustrating to me that people want to dial you know everything down or distill everything down to you know like you know like humans are only a sum of their parts and it's like it's interesting to me because i would hope that um you you know a, a person would absolutely want to raise their their um sons to be proud men but i think the reason why it sounds odd to say proud white men is because certain things are you know i i think that we it makes me think of like that, the overzealous overcorrect. Like I'm typing something out, mm. like my, my name, for example, I, you know, obviously have to program it and save it because, um, the, the autocorrect thinks, Oh, you're trying to write more Nike or something like, you know, you're uh-huh. trying, and I'm like, no, I'm trying yeah. to write my name. Um, but it doesn't recognize it. And so I think that society already, um, to, you know, so the idea of being a man, you know, we, people don't realize it, but things that we think are non-racialized are actually racialized. They're coded as white. So you don't need to say, Mm. raise your sons to be proud white men, because it's Mm. already understood that to be a white man is to be a man. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're you're a man. And so Mm. there's no shame attached with, uh, well, until recent generations, there isn't shame attached with the idea of the race part. So when Mm. people are saying that, you know, Latino and proud or, you know, proud black men, it's about someone who is from a group that is seen as, um, you know, minoritized in some way or um, seen marginalized in some way and wanting to counter that narrative. Um, Mm. But I think that I think there's room at the table for all of us. And I think that to to act like, first of all, none of us control none of us asked to be born anything that we were born we were born mm-hmm. as we were born it is not the fault of any if, if a person is born a heterosexual cisgender white male and being in america and who's middle class then that's what he is it's not a crime that's who he is um it's not something that he should be ashamed of we can't we can be cognizant of what our ancestors did and what is happening even now in systems without taking on this sense of shame, you know, and blame. Mm. I think that being aware of it is so that we can impact it and, you know, and we can improve upon it, not so that we can point fingers and hurt others. Um, I feel that um, I often give examples um, to, uh, you know, and, you know, and people, you know, and I, I use disability a lot, you know, as a person because of, you know, the, our family, the way that we are designed. But I speak a lot about the fact that things are, you know, there's are so much more complicated than they appear. And, you know, I talk about a friend of mine named Nico, who's white, blonde, blue eyed, great guy, you know what I mean? Um, and mm. he is non-speaking. And so um, we both have um, a diagnosis of autism. Mine came, you know, later in life. But he's a non-speaking person. He does not, he typically cannot speak with his mouth. He can make some vocalizations and humming, but he usually needs to type, you know, point at a letter board or type to communicate. And wow. so we, so I'm thinking this is a person who, according to all the standards of white, of, of America, right? Of modern America, he's the most privileged dude ever, right? But mm. here I am, a black woman, and I am able to speak and that gets me, um, you know, respect and attention that he is not afforded. You know, that white skin does not automatically erase the other things that he has to deal with as a human being. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a factor. Yes, but it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. And so I think that we can 
if anything, um, I tell people instead of shaming people with privilege, tell, you know, let them know that it's a superpower because you can, it's something that you can use. It's a, it opens, you know, if it gives you platforms or if it's a, if it um, gives you access to circumstances, then you can use it to try to, um, open minds and to, um, you know, to, to make things more inclusive for others and to share a broader um, sense of perspectives. Instead of, you know, shaming someone, why don't we empower, you know, our, our young white boys to be proud of who they are and to um, reach across the aisle and make friends mm. and appreciate the friends that they have for who they are and to not be, you know, and to stand up for what's right as a person and be a, you know, be a, a, a bold, strong, you know, man, mm. you know, we need so much more of that in society when men are, um, are being, you know, are being told to, you know, shut up and be quiet. You know, we need our boys to be able to run and play and we need them to be able to, um, if anything, to, um, if there's things that are negative, they will have more of a, um, a possibility of making a change or, you know, or um, influencing someone than the people on the outside who are yelling and, and, you know, sh- and throwing stones. Hmm. I love that. And, and uh, Marina Kay, I, I think in your, your own life, clearly, uh, you know, you're, I think as a parent who has their kids going through a classical Christian education, uh, because I didn't receive that myself, but I feel like I'm absorbing it now. And it's an education that is intended to bear uh, distinctly Christian fruit uh, as well. So again, thank you for uh, your your willingness to have good, open, thoughtful uh, dialogue. Um, I do have two questions before we go. First question is, uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us your favorite thing about the St. Constantine School. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I can pick just one thing. <laughs> it, is, you know, it is such an amazing school. I, I, it is, I, I, um, my husband and I have had job offers out of state, like really lucrative, you know, job offers with, you know, great pay, um, in, you know, parts of the country with much better weather, um, than Houston. And uh-huh. we've turned, we have turned them down. We are not leaving our, you know, That's amazing. this, this school is home. This, this place is truly a family. Mm. You st- the day starts off with prayer, um, you know, and um, there's the, everything about the, just the whole person, the whole human being is embraced at the St. Constantine school and with, with classical education, you know, in terms of there's, you know, recess, you know, it's not just a 25 minute thing that you throw in the middle of the day so you can check it off. You know, there's outdoor time, classrooms might sit outside and hold class outside or, you know, lunch, the lunch hour is an hour long. um, And, you know, and people are frolicking. You've got your college students there with the, with the, um, you know, Mm. the children who are in early childhood education, you've got elders coming, you know, around through, it's just like, it's a, it's a community. It's a true community. And, um, and it's just, I just, I just love it. I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't have my children anywhere else, you know, anywhere else. Um, and I just feel that especially kind of like for the things that we've been talking about in the world that we're living in, the, the things that are happening today, you know, and, and being that, you know, Uvalde is just a few um, hours drive from here, you know, just thinking as a parent um, about, we need the, we need the um, classical education more than ever. Every community, it's, it, it's such, it's so needed you know it, it really is transformative in terms of the way that people think the critical thinking the respect for others and for oneself the seeing things um as more than just transactional education is not something you put in a quarter you get out a, a, um you know a degree no it's about it, you know from the inside out 
understanding who you are um, and what you can do, you know, what, what where you fit in the world and, um, and and all of those things. Like, it's just so, you know, it's it's I just love the fact that I feel like my children are becoming whole real people while being there. <laughs> I, I, I hope and pray John Mark Reynolds listens to this podcast and I'm sure he has heard this feedback for you, but I, I am so glad that now thousands of anchor podcast listeners can hear this uh, as well. I mean, what, what, what a beautiful testimony uh, to, to this vision. And I know, you know, similar to the Veritas school or to covenant classical, uh, a lot of people who want to start a classical Christian school, they go to the St. Constantine school mm-hmm. in order to crystallize a vision for how to do this. And it's incredible to hear directly from a parent the way your family has been so profoundly blessed. It really, I, I just, I couldn't say more about it. You know, like, it's just been such a wonderful place, you know, being that, you know, I am a, a black mom, so I have children of color. I have like adoptive and biological children with disabilities and they are embraced there. They are loved there. The experiences, the things that they have learned, the books that they read, the things that they come home and talk about. It's just, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, you know, thrilling. And then I just, and now, you know, that we've gotten, you know, we, the, this, the college at St. Constantine as well, the St. Constantine College, you know, has, for me, is just even more wonderful because we've been able to bring in some people who maybe weren't able to benefit from, you know, K through 12 education in the classics, but they can come in at the university level and still learn. And it's not this, um, this fake microcosm of, of a bunch of your peers, um, you know, kind of carved off here, you know, where you're, you know, getting all of this debt, but it's in a, a real place, you know, where it's nurturing, where you're learning and where you're, the city is your classroom, not just, you know, this campus. Final question, uh, to conclude the podcast here, uh, the book that has been most formative for you that you would most recommend to our audience. Gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm a, a, such a reader. And so it's just so hard for me to pick, um, um, any one book, I think, but I'm, I'm going to try. And I think that actually, um, um, I'm going to pick a book from childhood and it's Animal Farm, actually. <laughs> um, kind of like, and I just think about how, um, you yes, know, yeah, <laughs> yes, um, it's especially in the world that we're living in today. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately, how it, it, it you know, it, it's you know, it, it illustrates a lot of the you know, the the perils of um, <laughs> of trying to um, to to you know, I guess live our lives without God's guidance and without excellence and distilling everything down to, um, you know, to these rules that only apply to some and not to all. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think that, you know, there's so much more that I I think it's a cautionary tale. um, And that, you know, is something that both adults and children can understand and hopefully learn from before we find ourselves, you know, our, 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 our lives are starting to very much mirror Manor Farm, um, mm. if we don't do anything, yeah. if we don't do something. And so I hope that we can all kind of wake up and um, make changes and, you know, and embrace the, 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 the beautiful, whole, rich life that we've been blessed with, you know, uh, you know, on, mm. you know, with the time that we have on this earth. I love that. I, I actually just read Animal Farm for the first time ever. Even oh, wow. Teaching English. I read it about five or six months ago. Wow. Uh, and- it, you know, and, and I, I, for one, have grown increasingly skeptical of government-controlled uh, education, and I found it very yes. interesting that only Napoleon, kind of the government, <laughs> could teach, right? Yes, he, yes. He, 
he controlled education. Yes. And that's another thing that was, would have been my second thing that I would have mentioned about the St. Constantine School. Everyone teaches. There is no, you know, like for me, I think about the fact that um, I, because of illness, I just recently left the university that I was working with. But it, it always saddened me that it was, seemed like the, everyone was trying to get to this position to where the less you taught, the better. Like if you could have only, yeah. only research and little, you know, and, and not be in the classroom, it's kind of like it was looked down yeah. upon. And that's not how it is. Um, Dr. Reynolds teaches classes like everyone. It, if you are the operations person who changes light bulbs, if you are the coach, everyone teaches something. You know, the administrators, everyone is still involved. There's no ivory tower that's removed from things. Everyone is involved at every level, if it means that you, you know, perhaps your degree is not such to where you can teach, you know what I mean, history or composition course, but certainly you can teach something about, you know, you mm. can teach, you know, gardening or you can teach a study hall elective or what have you. And so every single person at the school, every person from the highest to the lowest, everyone is involved in, in the education um, of the students. No one is above that. And so, you know, so it's very different than Napoleon being the only one who could teach the youth. You know, here we, we see everyone as being capable of, you know, contributing and, and teaching. And then the students teach one another as well. There's such a project-based and, um, you know, like experiential education um, you know, component to the school. And so I think that that is an area, like you mentioned about the government control, like it, it makes me sad. Um, the, the schools, the way I grew up, you know, the experiences that I had, um, the environment that I had, that is not the public school of today. It, it's gone. Um, and I don't know if it's ever coming back, unfortunately. And so um, I think the closest that we can get to that is for is to continue to, um, you know, have these revolutionary schools that are, um, you know, building up our children to human beings who are going to, you know, be make a change and, you know, who can bring the, you know, academy and, you know, into, you know, in, into the environment as well as, you know, the, you know, they can they can speak the, the life of practicality as and theology and, um, you know, all of these different things, you know, and um, the everyman, essentially. Monique, uh, this has been an absolute delight. I, I want to commit to you as, as founder of CLT, um, and, and we were actually trying to not use it before. Uh, we're not going to be using the language of woke at CLT. Um, I am so grateful for you uh, and so grateful that we could uh, connect in this way and have this great conversation. Uh, again, we're here with Monique, who is a parent at the St. Constantine School in Houston, Texas. Mornike, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much. And if you all have time, please check out the school, stconstantine.org. The word is spelled out S-A-I-N-T. It's an amazing, amazing school. If, if nothing else, read some of the blogs written by the faculty and just kind of get a feel for um, our campus, which is truly a beautiful, inclusive community. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.